You're listening to the Turn Again Ministries podcast with evangelist Aaron Pratt. Turn Again Ministries is based out of Fellowship Baptist Church in Clark Lake, Michigan, and is dedicated to bringing America back to its godly heritage. Let's prepare our hearts as evangelist Aaron Pratt brings forth God's word to us today. Turn your Bibles to the book of Philemon. Turn any chapter you want there, it doesn't matter, we'll all end up in the same place. Turn in your Bibles also, once you've hit your finger in the book of Philemon, I want you to turn to the book of Job, and Job chapter 9. We'll get there eventually. And once you get to the book of Job in chapter 9, I want you then to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 5. So we are in Philemon, which is right before the book of Hebrews. And we're in Job, chapter 9, which is right before the book of Psalms. I got to get there too. And then we are in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5. While we are in the book of Philemon, that is where our study is. And um, this is our third week on the book of Philemon. Just a bit of a quick review, an overview of the book of Philemon. Philemon is a book written to the, by the Apostle Paul while he's in prison to a man named Philemon who had a church in his house. He was a resident in Colossae, and this, this book, along with Colossians, they were written together and sent by the hand of a guy named Tychicus, along with Onesimus. There are three uh, people involved in this book. There's Philemon, who is this well-to-do man who has a church in his house, And then there's this man named Onesimus, who is a slave, who is a runaway slave, a slave of Philemon. He has run away, and he somehow finds, just by happen chance, he finds Paul, um, just by crazy circumstances. Somehow he found Paul in the middle of Rome while Paul was in prison. Paul then leads him to Christ. And Paul says, he writes to Philemon, sending this slave, Onesimus, back to Philemon, saying, this man is a new creature, I have led him to the Lord, and he is returning to you. I could have kept him, he was a great uh, prophet to me, he was very profitable, though in the past he was very unprofitable, he was very profitable to me, but I'm sending him back to you, and I want you to receive him. I want you to forgive him for the wrong that he has done. Last week we looked at three men. We looked at Philemon, we looked at Paul, and we we looked at Onesimus. Some things that are revealed to us in scripture about these three men. And this week we're going to take a little look, uh, kind of a surface look, at a couple doctrines that are revealed here. And then next week we will take a look at another doctrine that is revealed here. We won't get time to take... Uh, a look at everything this morning. But this morning I want to talk to you about some things that are revealed in Philemon. You're in Philemon. We're going to start reading in verse 10. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, 
whom I have begotten in my bonds. I've led to the Lord while I've led Onesimus to the Lord while I'm chained here in prison in Rome, which in time past was to thee unprofitable. Onesimus' name means profitable. He was a slave that was unprofitable. He ran away. But now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him. A doctrine we're going to look at today is contained in those words, receive him, that is mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel, but without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly, but perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever." Not now as a servant, but above a servant, brother beloved, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. There's a doctrine there that we're going to skip, we're going to come back to next week. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on Mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee, how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. Let's pause for a moment of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for Scripture. I thank you for your inspired word, Lord. I just pray that you would loosen my tongue, free my mind, Lord, and just um, fill me with your spirit and keep me filled, Lord. I just pray for those hearing, Lord, that you would give them open and receptive minds, that you would... Uh, speak to your people in the way that you would uh, have them to learn, in the way that you would have them to grow this morning. We know that it is your will for us to learn and grow this morning. Just a little bit closer to you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen. Amen. While well, we see in verse 12, as I highlighted, uh, a little statement there, whom I have sent, again, I'm sending Onesimus with this letter, and I'm telling you, receive him. He says, receive him, that is mine own bowels. Next week we're going to look at another doctrine. All these doctrines are related. But another doctrine where he says, receive him as mine own self. We're not going to talk about this this week. We're just going to talk about a doctrine that we see here where Paul is saying, receive him. You see, Onesimus is in a very bad situation. He's an escaped slave, and him escaping as a slave, he was property of his owner. And this means that, that in a sense, I don't know if Onesimus actually stole something from Philemon, but at the very least, he ran away. He was in trouble. It was not lawful for him to do that. Onesimus is in trouble. He can't go on the door and, and knock on the door of Philemon and say, please forgive me. He needs somebody that's called a mediator. Paul writes this letter being a mediator. We see here in this verse 12, we see the doctrine of mediation. He says, receive him, that is mine own vows. I'm writing this letter to you, Philemon, on the behalf of Onesimus. There's a problem. There's a problem between you, Philemon, and Onesimus the slave. Philemon, you've been wronged. I understand that. Onesimus has wronged you. We get that. I, Paul, I'm standing between you as a, as a mediator. A mediator is one who can stand between two parties and settle their differences. Sort of like a, a lawyer, we hear that term advocate, and there's, there's a sense in which there's an advocacy going on here. 
A lot of these doctrines, you'll notice, doctrines of the Bible, those doctrines that end in ION, the sanctification, the mediation, and all of the other doctrines, they're so intimately combined. And so you understand that as we talk about this doctrine, we are separating it from the other doctrines, but then, in a sense, we'll also connect them with some other doctrines. And you will, in your mind, as you know, some of these other doctrines, like like, uh, justification and propitiation, you will connect them in your mind. A mediator is one who would argue, one who would make a case to settle the differences. We see here that there's an example here of Paul being a mediator. And we see the doctrine of mediation all throughout Scripture. We see it in the Old Testament where there were types of mediation. Not the ultimate mediator, because we know that there is just one mediator. But we see types of mediation in Moses standing before God on the behalf of Israel. We see types of mediation in the priesthood, where they would stand on the behalf of those in the nation of Israel who would do sacrifices. In particular, on one particular day, the Day of Atonement, where the priests would go in, just one day, just one priest out of one tribe was selected, was appointed to go in before God and offer the blood sacrifice. So we see the doctrine of mediation intertwined all throughout Scripture. We, like Onesimus, need a mediator. You see, there's a problem between us and God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 says, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's bad news, folks. You and I, we're, we, we have this... This tendency, man has this tendency to paint himself in a pretty picture, but when you're looked at in the eyes of God, he sees you as a sinner. He sees you as wholly undone. He sees you as a stranger from the promises of God. He sees you without hope. He sees you completely deserving of your penalty which is a lake of fire. You see, just like Onesimus and Philemon, there was a problem between them, and there needed to be a mediator to come between them and fix the problem. Just like them, you and I, we have a problem. We're in a position where we need a mediator to come between us and fix the problem between us and God. You see, our problem is a sin problem. And God, with God, there there is no problem on his account. He's holy, he's just, he's sinless. But you and I, we, we have a desire, we have a need to be reconciled to this God, but we have been set apart because of our sin. You have your finger in the book of Job. I want you to turn back there to the book of Job, if you're not there. And chapter, chapter 9. Another verse to explain our alienation from God, Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, and you, that's every single one of you here who are saved, were, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. 
alienated. Not sometimes, but the Bible says sometime. Not that in the past you were every once in a while alienated from God and every once in a while filled with wicked works of your mind. The Bible says sometime, that is, the time in the past, you were just that, wicked, separated from a holy God. There are differences between God and man that need to be settled. So the question is, is that why do we need a mediator? I mean, why can't we just go, why couldn't Onesimus just go to Philemon and say, I'm sorry? Why can't you and I just go to God and say, I'm sorry? You see, the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job, answers this question. We're going to pull out a few verses, and we're not pulling them out to pull them out of context. We're pulling them out for the sake of time. In Job chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Then Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth, but how shall man be just with God? How can I go before God and be just before him? If he will contend with him, he cannot answer with him one of a thousand. Contend, mediate, present his case before God. We skip down to verse 14. How much less shall I answer him? And choose out my words to reason with him. Mediation. Whom though I were righteous, yet would I not answer, but I would make supplication to my judge. If I had called and he had answered me, yet would I not believe that he had hearkened into my voice. Why, Job? If you call to God and, and he answers you, why, why don't you believe that, that God would hearken, would listen, would, would heed to your words? Explains in verse 19, If I speak of strength, lo, he is strong. And if I have judgment, who shall set me a time to plead? How can I plead my cause? If I justify myself, how can a man justify himself? How can a man who is full of sin justify himself? How can a man that's full of sin present to God that he's not full of sin? Justification. Mine own mouth, if I justify my, myself, mine own mouth shall condemn me. If I say, I am perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. Though I were perfect, yet would I not know my soul, I would despise my life. Job says, I have no case to present before God. I don't know of a particular sin that God is judging me for, but I do know if I go before the Almighty, if there were a time where I could possibly go before the Almighty, and He would grant me an audience and would hearken unto me, I know that I have nothing to say to Him. I don't know of any particular sin that God is judging me for, but I do know that I am full of sin because I am a sinner. Therefore, there's no way for me to go to God and justify myself, Job says. Then he goes on in verse 20, uh, verse 30. If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, yet shalt thou plunge me into the ditch, and mine own clothes shall abhor me. You understand that you can't wipe away your unrighteousness? You can't wipe away your sin against God? You can't save yourself? 
You can't mediate for yourself. You can't enter the throne room of heaven and say, God, but look what I've done. I know that I've done some bad things, but I've done some good things as well. Let me plead my cause with you. Let me justify... No, that's not justification. Yet thou shalt thou plunge me into the ditch, and mine own clothes shall pour me. For he is not a man as I am. He's God. He's not man. He's not a man that I am that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Me and God, we, we can't discuss this matter together. There's no way that I could relate to him. There's no way that I could even come into his presence because I'm full of sin. And there's no way that he could relate to me and my cause because he's not experienced what it's like to be a man. There's no way that we could come together. And Job cries out, Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. There's no daysman, there's no mediator that would take God and take me and bring us together into agreements. There's no, there's no daysman, there's no mediator, there's none that exists, Job cries out, that could take me, a sinner, and could take God, and this mediator could plead my cause and bring us together, reconcile us. It doesn't exist. You understand, folks, that you know most of you, I believe, know where I'm going with this. There was never any kind of mediator that man had knowledge of that he could go to God and enter the throne room of heaven. There was never any of that until Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We see that proven in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews answers some of our questions about this passage. Man cannot come before God because he's already sinful. God cannot come before a man because he's not a man. There's no way that he can relate to him by experience and understand things like man's temptations, man's troubles. Hebrews chapter 5. We see this outlined. We see this case laid out. This daysman that is required for man and God to be brought back together like Onesimus and Philemon were brought back together. This requirement for a mediator. You see, this mediator, it couldn't be God himself. It couldn't relate to man. It couldn't be a man because man is inherently sinful. It couldn't be an angel because he can neither relate to man or to God. It needed to be somebody who could go between the two. In Hebrews chapter 5, we see... Folks, there's so many things wrapped up in salvation. When you got saved, you understood that you were saved from the wrath of hell and the lake of fire. You didn't understand all these other things that we're going to talk about today. You didn't understand and know these T-I-O-N words, these reconciliation, these justification words. You didn't know these. I love... I love the psalm that says, I love to tell the story to those who know it best, seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. You see, there's so much involved and wrapped up in your salvation. Don't allow the gospel to get old to you. Don't allow these words like mediation to get boring to you. Is doctrine boring? 
Is doctrine some intellectual pursuit where we learn things that are written in the Bible and what they mean? I like what I heard one man say recently. The first two letters of doctrine are D-O. Do. They are a representation of how you ought to live your life. There's something applicable to every single doctrine. It's not just for you to learn in an intellectual manner so that you can proclaim yourself to be smart about scriptures. No, no, no. It's not to be impressive. It's about you learning something that would change your life. And we see in Hebrews chapter 5 something very beautiful, something that Job never had. Job chapter, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 1, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. Again, Old Testament, there was a priest, there was, there was a high priest, and they sort of kind of served as a mediator. They were able to have compassion on men because they were men. They understood men. And we read on, though, and by reason hereof, he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. But he had to offer for his own sins. So how could he be a proper daysman? How could he be a proper mediator? He could only be a, a type, a form of it. He could never actually enter the throne room of heaven and be acceptable to God to be a mediator on the behalf of men because he had to offer for his own sins. But then we read a little bit further. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. You don't choose yourself to be a mediator. God chooses you to be a mediator, he's saying. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest. Jesus Christ is a high priest. But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee, not conceived thee, but placed thee in a place that no one else has ever taken, a place of honor that no one else has ever seen, and no one else has a right to see or take that place. And he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is where we get to the, the part of God, the God-man, Jesus Christ being the mediator who in the days of his flesh, remember, he's perfect. He's God. So he's able to enter the throne room of heaven. And then he becomes man. And so he suffers the things that man suffers. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong cryings and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard and that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things he suffered. God, for the first time in ever, being manifest in the flesh, learned what it was like to obey. God had never done that. In Job's day, Job, in Job's day God had never learned what it was like to obey. In verse 9, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. Hebrews chapter 5 lays out for us a very special case of God, this God-man, this Jesus Christ being God manifest in the flesh, being God himself, Jesus Christ in the flesh, where for the 4,000 years of history that preceded before this, man never knew a God-man, he only knew God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, but not God the Son manifest in the flesh. 
Not God the Son who would offer up strong cryings to God. Not God the Son. They never knew for the 4,000 years of history a God who suffered in the flesh, who knew what it was like to be hungry, who knew what it was like to be tempted by sin. And so we have a God-man. For there is one God God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, one God. And one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. We have a mediator and Jesus Christ. He was, he was required in order to be a mediator. He was required to be God. And he was required to be man. And so we see once again the great significance and the importance and the need of God to be manifest in the flesh. That it couldn't just be 100% God and it most certainly couldn't have just been 100% man. That it needed to be 100% God and 100% man. And you and I, we can try all day long to explain that, but we don't understand that. We just trust what the Bible says is truth and accept it by faith. And the Bible says here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 5, explaining this doctrine of mediation. It's a quick, short verse, and many of you can, can, can quote it, but it says, for there is one God. That is that just Jesus Christ, he's not separate from God. He is one with God. That means he's one in agreement. That means all of the attributes that God the Father has, God the Son has. They are 100% in agreement with what the requirements are for mediation. They completely understand each other. There is one God and one mediator. Acts 4.12 tells us, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other way. There is no other mediator. A a priest on this earth, he cannot mediate you between God and man. Mohammed cannot mediate you between God and man. There's nobody up in heaven who says prayers for you that can mediate you between God and man. Buddha can't mediate you between God and man. There is no Hindu God that can mediate you between God and man. And most certainly you yourself cannot mediate you between God and man. There is one mediator, that is Jesus Christ. One mediator between God and man, the man. It doesn't just say, notice in the verse, it doesn't say one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. It says the man. One God, the man. The Trinity, three in one, complete. God manifests in the flesh. He is man. And thus we see Hebrews chapter 5 coming to light a bit more as we understand. I'm trying my best. This is not a doctrine that's incredibly easy to understand or explain. And understanding why he was required to be both God and man. And so if you're having a little bit difficulty, I have to go quickly. If you're having a little bit difficulty understanding this, You have the passages there. Job chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 5. Job chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 5. 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5. Well, Christ is the interpreter of God to man, one man said. 
and the door of access for the man to God. Job, back so many thousands of years ago, Job's longing is literally and fully men. He says, oh, that I might have a daysman betwixt us. Oh, that I might have a mediator to come between us and fix this problem, this problem of separation between me and God. His longing today, when Jesus came to set the captives free, when he went into paradise to set them free, his longing is literally and fully met to the cry which comes from that far off wreck of earthly, earthly happiness. He is not as man as I am, Job says. We can answer today, he is a man. Where Job thousands of years ago said, God's not a man as I am. He can't understand my calls. He can't understand what it's like to obey he can't understand what it's like to be tempted. God says today, yes, I am a man. There is no daysman to lay his hand upon us both, Job says. We can answer today, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You see, we have an answer today, which Job longed for back in Job chapter 9, verse 33. We have it in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. And you and I, we have a mediator. We have somebody who can solve the problem between us and God. Our sin problem. As we come to Jesus Christ in faith. Wow, I'm going to fly through this next part. So Jesus goes to the throne room. Just entertain me in my imagination. I understand that I'm splitting apart some doctrines, but sometimes you have to look at a single doctrine to, to get the meaning of that and the implication of that single doctrine. I understand that. Just bear with me in my imagination so that we can gain a, a, a better aspect of what's going on here. So Jesus goes to the throne room and mediates on our behalf. He says to God, God, receive them. That is, mine own bowels. As Paul said in Philemon, receive him, that is, mine own bowels, my love. To which God replies, that's impossible. I cannot receive that which is sinful. Romans 5.18, where therefore as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. The offense of one, that is Adam. We are all born into sin. We are all sinners. Ephesians 2.12, that at that time ye were without Christ. That's really bad. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope. That's you and I. And without God in the world. Colossians 1.21 and you... No. Hebrews um, 5.16 shows us that they're in the, under this New Testament age there is a requirement that God, God sends to us. And that requirement is death. We've sinned for the wages of sin is death. Hebrews 9.16 says, For a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. 
This New Testament covenant going out of the Old Testament, coming into the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 9 is explained. For a testament is of force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all, while the testator liveth. In other words, if you have a will, it means nothing until you are dead. It requires a death. Then the conversation could take place, God saying, okay, you take your, as Hebrews chapter 9 tells us, you take your blood to the throne room of heaven. What does that have to do with man? You are mediating on behalf of man. You've died on the cross, but what does that have to do with man? Jesus says, if he hath wronged thee, as Paul said, if he hath wronged thee, or oweth the odds, put that on mine account. We have here the doctrine of imputation. What does that mean? Something that has happened and you have to assign or attribute that to someone. Uh, Imputation is charging. It is crediting. Paul says, if he has wronged thee or oweth thee, I put that on mine account. If... Philemon, if Onesimus has done something wrong to you, if he owes you something and you feel like you need to be paid that back in order for forgiveness to take place, then you put that on my account. You consider me the guilty party. You impute his sins and his trespasses on me and I will repay it. This is what Paul says to Philemon. We have here the doctrine of imputation. Remember, Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, is in the throne room of heaven, and he's mediating on our behalf, and he says, receive them, that is mine own bowels, and God says, but they've sinned. And Jesus says, I've died. And God says, well, what does that have to do with them? Romans 5.18, Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteousness, made righteous. You were born into this world, and, and sin was imputed. It was charged to your account. Jesus Christ dies on the cross for your sin, and your sin is imputed. It is charged to his account. If he owes the odd, put that on my account, Jesus says. If he sinned, and every single one of us have sinned, put that on my account, Jesus says. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. He'd have to bear the sins for himself, he didn't have any sin. Who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet did we esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes... We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The doctrine of imputation. God has laid upon Jesus Christ as he hung on the tree, as he was nailed to the cross, as he was praying in the garden of Gethsemane, feeling the weight of sin. 
the penalty for sin being laid upon him so that Jesus Christ being nailed to the tree is nailed to the tree though having never done any sin, though having never done any wrong, though having never been born into sin and having sin imputed or charged to his account, he hangs on the cross and God says, I'm going to take the sin of the entire world and I'm going to lay it on him so that the entire world doesn't have to dwell in hell for all eternity. The sin that he's done, the wrong that he's done, the penalty, what he owes you, Jesus says, you put that on my account. I'll bear the sin. I'll bear the penalty. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. To you and I were born into sin, imputed on us. Jesus Christ was born not into sin and knew no sin. He was not born of the seed of man. He knew no sin. He never sinned. He never sinned once. He was tempted, but he never sinned once. And God says, Jesus, you are the mediator. God says, Jesus, I am taking the sin of mankind and I am charging it to your account. You're going to pay the price for mankind. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But we don't just in this doctrine of imputation. It's not just about the sin of Jesus, the sin of us, I'm sorry, the sin of us being laid to the account of Jesus in him taking our penalty on the cross. It's not just about that. You see, that last part of 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, God takes our sin and puts it on Jesus, and God takes the righteousness of Jesus and puts it on our account so that when Jesus enters the throne room of heaven and says, Receive them, that is my own bowels. And God says, I love them just as much as you do. We after all all are one, for there is one God. And Jesus says, I've died for them. I'm perfect, I died for them, I paid the price. And God says, oh yes, I put their sin on your account. And Jesus says, receive them. If they owe you anything, if they owe you anything, Put that on my account and you receive them. That is my own bowels. And God says, yes, I will do that. Not only have I imputed, have I placed their sin on your account when you died on the cross, but I've also taken your righteousness and put it on their account so that when they, when they pray up to the throne room of heaven and they're on a right account with God, when they pray up to the throne room of heaven, they are looked at as righteous. Righteous. That's how God looks at you, saved one here this morning. But you know, there is a requirement for this mediation. There's a requirement for this imputation, for it to take place, just like with Philemon and Onesimus and Paul. Paul can all day long try to 
try to mediate with Philemon, but if Onesimus isn't willing to go back to his master, if he's not willing to go back and say, I've done wrong, receive me, if he's not willing to go back to his master, then there is no imputation. If you're not willing this morning, as God calls from the throne room of heaven and says, receive me as your personal Savior, there is a problem between us. Jesus is trying to pull you out of the ditch. He's trying to pull you out of the flames of hell. You receive him and what he's done on the cross is your own personal Savior. You do that. The mediation then takes place and you and God are reconciled together forevermore. And not only are you looked by God, not only are you looked by God as having your sins washed away but then he adds to that on your account righteousness and so many other things that we will talk about next week hallelujah praise the Lord that I I have a mediator and that I am viewed as righteous before God hallelujah you have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.